that no matter the struggle, no matter the, uh, the weariness or fatigue that you may be feeling right now, that you would know for certain that Jesus is still there for you. Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, friends. Have you been able to stretch today? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I tell you what, um, I have been so amped about the Prophecies of Hope seminar that started last night that I, I don't remember the last time that I was running on adrenaline 24-7. Um, but uh, I think right now I'm, I'm still needing a little bit of rest, so, so pray for me. But uh, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. You've heard us talk about it already. But the Prophecies of Hope seminar, it's more than just uh, information that maybe some of us have heard before. Uh, the Prophecies of Hope seminar is a way to experience revival in our own lives. We're getting into the Word four nights a week. Amen. And I uh, tell you what, the, the Word is transformative. It's not just informative. And so the power of God's Word is going to be presented every night. And I'm so glad to have seen so many of you there in support. And um, I know that God will continue to preach His Word and proclaim His Word. So uh, we're excited about that. Today, welcome to uh, the third, third installment of our sermon series, Mission in Motion. Have you been following this along all right? Mission in Motion. A couple weeks ago, we started it. Mission in Motion, part one, through the roof. We looked at that story in Mark chapter two, where there were four friends who brought their paralyzed friend through the roof to Jesus. They weren't going to stop at anything, and that in, in and of itself was a picture of the church on the move, right? A church whose mission was in motion. Uh, the second week, last week, we looked at the story of, of uh, the disciples who brought to Jesus five loaves and two fish and said, how can we possibly feed the multitudes, right? But this church was a, was a church in motion. They were a church on the move, and their mission in motion was going back and forth, taking from Jesus and giving to the multitudes. You remember this? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay, some of us are still needing that Sabbath rest. Okay, <laughs> it's going to come. Today, mission in motion, standing strong, we're going to the letter of Ephesians. If you haven't already opened there, go ahead and open there with me. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As Ron had mentioned, Ephesians is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was, was a bold proponent, a bold preacher of the gospel, right? And if you've ever read the, the letter to the Ephesians, you realize that Paul is so overwhelmed with the power of grace. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast, right? Paul realized this. Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. He's writing this letter from prison and he could easily be writing, oh man, could you please send me some more clothes? <laughs> could you please send me some more food? I don't know why the people did this to me, etc. Et he could be complaining, but all he can do is praise Jesus for grace that saves. And that's Paul for you. He's so overwhelmed by the gospel that he can't get that out of his mind. And so he's writing about this. He's writing about this. And he's writing about how the gospel has power to save and to make peace. Peace between us and God, where, where there was a wall of separation, the gospel of grace undoes that wall. And we are one with God. And then 
in the last half of the letter, he starts talking about how this grace actually impacts our relationships with one another, between husband and wife, between parents and children. So this gospel of grace really results in unity and in peace, both vertically and horizontally. Are you following? Yeah? And so here Paul is, he's talking about grace, and when he gets to this closing stanza of sorts, the grand finale, in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, right? He's getting to that, that last punch, that closing appeal, the left hook, and he's very real with the spiritual war at hand. He says, finally, my brethren, this is chapter 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of who? Of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, Paul isn't playing the blaming game or the complaining game of just pinpointing the individuals who are responsible for his troubled situation, right? He's in prison. He's saying, look, I realize there's a bigger battle out there beyond flesh and blood. It's darkness, principalities and powers. And so he's appealing to us, just as he has for himself, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he goes on to list this armor with which we should be clothed. And what's interesting is that when I have looked at this passage in the past, I don't know if anybody else resonates this, but as I've looked at this passage in the past about the armor of God, I have looked at it from the perspective of self-defense, realizing that, that the devil's onslaught, the devil's continuous attacks are very real, and we need armor to defend ourselves. But today I want to take a closer look because I believe there's a picture of the church in motion that's not just on the defensive. Before we get there, I want us to bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to study, we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit because it is He who can teach us all things. Please, Lord, send us your Spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. And as we take a look at this passage, God, please charge us with renewed passion to put the mission in motion. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen. So here we are, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Tell me if you see a repeated theme that Paul picks up. Therefore, therefore, as in, because we are in a spiritual battle, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. Did anybody notice a repeated theme of Paul's in those two verses? What, what, what was that word? Stand, right? To withstand, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Three times Paul makes this appeal. Stand, stand, stand. So today, friends, we're taking a look at the church as it stands strong in the Lord. Now, what is it that we are to stand strong in? It says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Maybe your Bible says with the belt of truth. 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These are very uh, uh, graphic descriptions. These metaphors are very real. Are you following it? Paul is basically saying, put on the right clothes, right? Put on the right clothes, and these clothes aren't just long pants and tennis shoes, but these clothes are the full armor of God. We've got some soldiers here who know maybe a little bit more about armor than I do, right? But Paul probably has in mind, he's in prison, right? He's got Roman soldiers all around him, and so he's probably using this opportunity, just these these visuals that he has in front of him, to describe what it's like to be in battle spiritually. And he goes on to list this whole armor of God that we can be strong in and stand in. And the metaphors are too clear to miss. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, sword of the Spirit. But there's one that's smack dab in the middle that kind of throws a monkey wrench into it all because it's an oddball. I don't know if you noticed it, But there in verse 15, all of the other metaphors are pretty clear. Belt of truth, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness. But there in verse 15, it's a little bit awkward. It tries to be a metaphor, but it's really strange. It says in verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit strange. And oftentimes when Bible writers make a list of repetition and it includes one thing that is not part of the rhythm or the pattern, it's drawing your attention to it. And so there must be something here that Paul wants us to take notice of because he doesn't say put on the shoes of the gospel. No, he says having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. So what is this? The reason why we need to uncover this is because this is the piece of armor that relates directly to that threefold appeal, stand, stand, stand. If we don't understand what we're supposed to shot our feet with, how are we going to be able to stand? Right? So what is this? Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so just in the next few moments, I want us to try to uncover this And I won't say that I have necessarily the final answer, but what I have seen, it has revealed a completely new perspective about Ephesians 6 to me. Are you ready? There's two keys that we're going to use to unlock this metaphor because this will show us the church that stands. Two keys. The first key is this. There's only one other biblical reference that in any way comes close to connecting feet with the gospel. Do you know what verse I'm talking about? Maybe you've sung a song about it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you remember that? It's in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah. Turn with me. Hold a finger there in Ephesians 6. Turn back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is to the left. It's in the Old Testament, a little bit past the Psalms. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. When you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right, we're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. 
And if you're familiar with the messages that Isaiah has given, or the, the messages God has used Isaiah to give to the people of Israel, they, a lot of it are messages of, of, uh, of judgment, really. A lot of it is messages of, hey, things are going south real fast. But by the end of Isaiah, God is giving the people of Israel a hope beyond that judgment. And Isaiah 52 is no different. Let's back up a little bit in verse 6. Isaiah 52, verse 6. God says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. In other words, God's saying, Look, in that day, I'm actually going to turn their judgment around. I'm actually going to show up and say, I'm right here. It's me. I've been giving you freedom this whole time. And then in verse 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings what kind of news? Good news. In Greek, that translates to the gospel. So, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims, what's the next word? Salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The picture here is of a messenger. Actually, it's a battle metaphor too. Back in the day when, when, uh, when kings sent out their armies to war, the king often sat at home, you know, trying to draw up plans or make provisions for this case or that scenario, or whatever the case may be, and the king would wait on the edge of his throne for a messenger to come back from the field of battle. When that messenger came, even in the way that that messenger was running, kings would know whether it was good news or bad news. Do you think kings would want good news or bad news? Which one would you prefer, right? Good news. Obviously, they're waiting for good tidings. And, and this is saying how beautiful, how, how precious it is when you see the feet of one who's bringing good news, saying, your God reigns. So if we're just going to kind of import this, connect this to Ephesians chapter 6, and assume that, that the thing that Paul is thinking about when he's thinking about feet and the gospel, could it be that he's thinking along the lines of being messengers who say, God is still in control? Could it be that Paul is actually looking at believers in Ephesus and he's saying, look guys, you have been given a message. The battle has already been won on a hill called Golgotha. And at Calvary, Jesus paid it all. It is finished. And you have a message saying God is in control. In other words, Paul is writing to believers and he's saying you are not just armed Christians who are trying to protect themselves. You are messengers bearing good news. Wow. So that's key number one, that, that Paul actually looks at us as armored messengers. Here's key number two. Key number two comes when we come to an understanding of what kind of battle it is that Paul envisions the church experiencing. In Paul's day, there were two types of warfare that were common. Two types of warfare. One was battle in the valley, like in an open area, an open plain. Two armies just kind of converge, foot soldiers going hand to hand, whatever that might be. Uh, so, pretty gruesome stuff when you think about it. So that was one method. Army and army coming at it head to head in an open plain or a valley. So battle in the valley. Another possible, that was, well, another 
strategy of warfare that was common in that day was a city siege. Do you know what a siege is? It's when an army approaches a city, completely surrounds that city, and cuts off all that city's resource, so the city eventually has to yield and surrender. And so, two, two possible metaphors that Paul might have in mind, which one do you think Paul is thinking about? When, when you think about it, it's interesting in Ephesians 6, go ahead and turn back there. Did you notice that the enemy that we're fighting against, the enemy has a weapon. Did you notice what kind of offensive weapon the enemy has? It's in verse 16. Take a look. It's in verse 16. He says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. These are arrows. Flaming arrows. Now, interestingly, when you, when you think about battle warfare that was taking place back then, often there were archers set up upon a city wall so that in the case that there was a city siege, these archers would be able to stand behind their defenses and just shoot these flaming arrows at the army that was trying to siege them and uh, essentially just kind of back off that siege. And so here, it would be reasonable if Paul is talking about standing, excuse me, if Paul is talking about flaming arrows, that he could be thinking of a city siege. Remember that threefold appeal, stand, stand, stand. If you're thinking about hand-to-hand combat where, where two armies just kind of go head-to-head, uh, standing isn't the best instruction for your soldiers, right? Standing is more like, hey, be a sitting duck, okay? That's not what Paul is talking about. So maybe, just maybe, Paul is actually thinking about a city siege. Well, why would you need to stand when you're sieging a city? It's because when the enemy is throwing arrows at you from his wall, you need to hold up your shield of faith and stand your ground. If you were to turn around and run, which would probably be my natural reaction. If you were to turn around and run, what kind of armor is protecting you back here? Nothing, nothing. So Paul is picturing a church that is fully focused on sieging a city. A church that is standing strong against the enemy. And it's the enemy who is on the defense wait a minute, wait a minute, why, why would we try to chase after the devil? Isn't that just like walking into a lion's cage? <laughs> why would we want anything to do it? Why don't we just go the other way? Is it possible that Paul has in mind the reality that the devil has a city full of captives that need to be freed? Paul is talking about a church on the move because he knows there's an enemy who has taken souls captive. Do you remember that verse in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus and his disciples, they're out walking in a a Gentile territory. Actually, go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, they're walking in Caesarea Philippi. 
Jesus asked the disciples a question. He says, who do people say that I am? Peter pipes up. He says, uh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're the prophet, etc., etc. In Matthew chapter 16, if you're there, say I'm there. Okay. So here it is in verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Gold star for you. You got it, right? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. By the way, Peter means pebble or stone. And on this rock, I imagine Jesus pointing even just to himself, on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of, what's the next word in your Bible? The gates of Hades is what the New King James says. Maybe yours says hell. In other words, the gates of darkness, the gates of the prince of darkness, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's envisioning the church. He's saying, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Question. Have any of us ever seen gates that march? No. In other words, if we're looking at the picture that Jesus has in mind, it's the church on the march, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Whoa. And here Paul takes it to another level. In Ephesians chapter 6, he is envisioning a city in which the devil has held captives. He's trying to fend off this marching church. He's trying to fend off this church on a mission. This church full of messengers whose feet are so beautiful because they bring good news. They're prepared. They're ready to bear glad tidings. It's interesting, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Maybe your Bible says the readiness of the gospel of peace. In other words, the soldiers that Paul is talking about, they are ready. Their toes are twinkling almost. They're, they're just ready to get going. They're standing right now, standing strong, but they're ready just for the right time when those arrows are quenched to go in and bring back captives that Jesus has paid for. Wow. This, this explains, by the way, why Paul, later on in verse 18, 19, and 20, the nature of his prayer. Did you catch it? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Verse 19, And, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. In other words, hey, we've been talking about you as messengers, now also pray for me as a messenger. So there's that, he's thinking missionary, he's thinking as a missionary here, uh, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so here are these two keys uh, that, that are helping us understand that here in the middle of this whole armor of God, Paul wants us to have feet that are ready to move. Feet that are standing strong, yes, but standing ready to siege. Standing ready to, to see if there are captives that need to be taken out of the grip 
of darkness. Friends, this is a powerful picture. This isn't, this isn't to say that, yes, we need protection from the devil's attacks, but this is to say that, that more than that, we need to be filled with an urgency about those captives who are looking wistfully to heaven, wondering if there is a way out. Friends, we, you and I, can be those messengers saying, your God reigns. That's a, that's a powerful privilege. It's a heavy responsibility as well. And so today, how does this message land with you? Is it, is it your desire to think of yourself, to actually identify yourself the way Paul wants us to be identified? That we would not just be people on the defense, but that we would be messengers charging a city. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm a... I don't know if I'm the only one that ever feels like this, but when I'm thinking about being a witness, when I'm thinking about sharing good news to someone else, I'm often paralyzed, I should say, or maybe just kind of halted or hesitant by uh, questions like, I wonder how responsive they're going to be, or I wonder if I'm overstepping some sensitivities, or maybe, if I'm, maybe I'm not being politically correct. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else ever wonders how people are going to respond when you want to share something with them. And I think the thing is, we should be sensitive, right? We should be fully aware of where people are coming from as we share the gospel with them and, and what God has done in our lives with them. I'm not saying that we should throw all that stuff out and that we should just be arrogant and bold and just like, here, here is the gospel. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Please, don't take me wrong. But what I am saying is that sometimes we let those sensitivities be the overriding thought. Maybe in Ephesians 6, Paul wants us to think not just about how I am going to look when I'm a witness, but the very fact that there is a captive in the kingdom of darkness that Jesus has already paid to be free. In other words, in my hesitation, in those moments where I'm just like, uh, I'm not sure if I should say this or that, more often than not, I'm thinking about myself. <laughs> and I'm not thinking about the situation that this soul is in. That if they don't know Jesus, they don't have life. Could it be that Jesus wants us to be so bold as to be messengers of peace. The messengers of this gospel that brings peace between heaven and earth. Could it be? How many of us today would consider it a privilege to actually say, yes, I will stand strong in the Lord in the power of his might. I want this identity to be mine. Yeah, I want to be a messenger of the gospel of peace. I want to be one that is not just on the defensive, but I want to be one who is thinking about captives that need to be freed. Would anybody want to adopt that mentality today? Yes? Amen. Amen. Now the reality is this. You and I can't do that. <laughs> you and I have no power in and of ourselves to do that, which is why this whole thing about armor is surrounded by this idea of being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I want to be a soldier who stands shield of faith up, waiting for the commander's uh, order, uh, waiting for that right timing just to go ahead and siege. I want to be that, but I realize that I can't be that in and of myself. 
So if it's your desire to take on that identity, then it ought to be also our desire to take on the power of God and not our own. Amen? Amen. And so today, I realize that maybe some of us in this congregation this size, maybe some of us resonate more with the captives who are in the city. And you yourself are bound and chained up, and you know it. Friends, Jesus has set you free. And if, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Jesus has paid it all. Why not go to him today? Some of us are, are on the side, outside uh, of these walls, just wondering if there's really much of a job for me to do out here. Friends, God has called you to be a messenger of the gospel of peace, to have your feet shod with a readiness a readiness to go in at just the right time. So hold up your shield of faith. Don't let the devil deter you from trying to be that source of grace, that instrument through which God can use to free a captive from the grip of the devil. Friends, I want to pray together. You know, we've got the Prophecies of Hope seminar going on. It's a great opportunity for us to be instruments through which God can can proclaim or demonstrate, even just by the way we are and the way we, we, we smile. We can be instruments of the gospel of peace there. Uh, but the reality is that our efforts to redeem souls aren't limited to a month-long program. Amen? Our efforts to redeem souls aren't limited to just one ministry outreach or one organized program. Our ministry to redeem souls is in the household. Our ministry to redeem souls is in the workplace. Our ministry to redeem souls is everywhere we are. If you are born into the kingdom of God, you are born again as a missionary of God. That's the reality. And so, friends, what I want to do right now is just pray together, because many of us did raise our hands. We want to be those who are armed with the power of God to redeem souls. So let's pray that God would seal us for that. Father in heaven, we know that this is a sacred call. This is a commission that you wouldn't give to, to anyone that you wouldn't empower to fulfill it. God, we're humbled because we know that angels could do this missionary work much better than us. And yet you've called us to be part of your team. So Lord, take us, weaknesses and all, frailties and all, quirks and all. Lord, take us and make us strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. Father, I thank you for this church family and the ways that we are able to be strong together, the ways that we are able to link arms together. And Father, if there are soldiers among us, so to speak, that are, that are uh, trembling at the knees or whose hands are weak, I pray that we would be the kind of brothers and sisters that would encourage one another in this effort. Father, I pray specifically for those of us who do feel bound. Please, Jesus, demonstrate your power to save in our lives. Please free us by the power of grace, this gospel of peace. Thank you so much that you are able because we've prayed in Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen.